Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereupon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. I want to lift from verse 5 our subject tonight. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, but put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereupon thou standest is holy ground. Holy ground. Now I know that this for any Bible readers that are here tonight, this, this passage is not unfamiliar, but uh, I want to look at it in a little different way, and I pray that the Lord would minister through His Word and talk to the hearts of folks. I feel like we need to kind of harness our minds to what God wants to do in the next few moments. So uh, would everybody come in from the work day and everybody come in from what's going on at home and Everybody come to church with me for just a little while tonight. Would that be okay? Let's harness our minds and get rid of all distractions. I want to talk to us about holy ground tonight, but I want us to pray first of all that the Lord would would touch us and help us to realize and have uh, an acute sensitivity to what He is wanting to do. Come on, pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, I'm asking God that you... Speak to us in this place this evening. Talk to our hearts in this house. You know the needs that are here. You know, God, every situation before we ever arrived at this service. And I know, God, most of all, you're able to help us. Speak to us through your word. Anoint us in the name of the Lord Jesus. We thank you and praise you and worship you for it. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give praise to the Lord. I thank you, God. I thank you, God. I worship you. I magnify your name. Thank you for standing and you may be seated. Holy ground, just just the words and just, just the mentioning of that is fascinating to us. And it's a very intriguing idea and concept to think about from the Word of God. 
It leads one to ask the obvious question, though, and that is what really constitutes holy ground? How do you define holy ground? What is holy ground to you and I? Well, according to my my study of the Scripture, I find that there are four main determining factors that qualify a place for being holy ground. First of all, it is a place where a person meets with an almighty God. It is a place also of divine revelation. It is a place where a person's life is changed. And there's a real spiritual experience that takes place. It is a place where purpose is discovered. And so it necessarily doesn't have to be in that order, but... These four things, it seems, accompany and are a witness to anywhere in Scripture that you find a person, maybe it's not explicitly said holy ground, but nevertheless, there is a visitation from the Lord at this level that Moses had in our text. Just to take you back and refresh you a little bit on what is taking place in this beginning of the book of Exodus, it seems like The first three chapters of the book of Exodus move very rapidly. And we are finding that God is is moving upon this man by the name of Moses who has found exile in a wilderness place and connected himself to a gentleman by the name of Jethro and fell in love with his daughter and married his daughter and was content the Bible says, to stay and to live there and oversee this man's flock. And perhaps he would inherit this flock. And uh, he would go on uh, living a life of obscurity in the wilderness and uh, away from his people, hardly anybody knowing exactly where he had escaped to. But it is there after 40 years of dwelling in this place. And if you've studied Moses' life, you know that his life is broken up in 40-year divisions. The first 40 years he spent in Egypt in Egyptian bondage for the most part. And though he was not like the rest of his brethren, being raised in Pharaoh's own palace, he could never escape. Uh, the knowledge of being an Israelite and knowing that God had a special calling upon his life and that his life had a purpose. And for some reason, while others his age had been slain and killed, he had been spared and raised in the ruler's own household. And he had been raised in luxury, educated by the Egyptians. And if you know about the Egyptian empire of that day, you know that it was one of the greatest empires of its day. Nevertheless, God saw fit to raise him, clothe him, protect him by these Egyptians. But there was a time that came when he saw the cruel treatment that an Egyptian taskmaster was uh, carrying out upon his brethren. And the scripture tells us 
that he intervened and he slew the Egyptian and buried his body in the sand and thought that no one saw it. Or at least that no one would ever say anything about it. And then later, he was noticing a dispute between two Israelite men and began to intervene to try to uh, settle this dispute and this quarrel between them. And when he did, they said, Are you going to do to us like you did the Egyptian taskmaster? And suddenly he realized that his secret had been revealed. That when he had, in anger, slew this Egyptian, now uh, the cat was out of the bag, so to speak. And everyone would know it. And eventually he knew that the news of this would drift back to Pharaoh and that he would suffer a punishment for it. So he was exiled to this place in the wilderness and was content to live there. And uh, no real uh, evidence where there was any development in his relationship with God. It just seems like that space of time is an interval that there's not a lot of details about. But on this particular day, God chose to visit him in a peculiar way. And uh, we don't read anything like it really in the scripture that parallels this experience that Moses had. And the Bible says that he looked in the distance and saw that there was a bush that was burning. Not necessarily an uncommon sight in itself. But as he watched and observed for a little while, he noticed that the bush was not consumed. And this intrigued him. And as he turned aside to view it a little closer, there was a voice of invitation that came out of the burning bush. And the Lord notified him that the ground that he was standing on was holy ground. And to take off his shoes. And the Lord wanted to speak to him about what his destiny would be. And his purpose would be. And as the Lord began to reveal to him that he was going to use him to be a deliverer, he was going to use him to confront Pharaoh, he was going to use him to go and liberate the people of God. This was his purpose, this was his calling, not to just be a shepherd in the wilderness and to live in obscurity the rest of his days, but God did not save him. God did not give him the revelation that he had given him. God did not bring him to this point for him just to live a life of neutrality. For him just to live a life, to live a life of doing nothing and just being satisfied with surviving on his own. Can I just digress for just a moment and tell you that God did not give you the revelation of the truth. God did not give you the opportunity of salvation. God did not pour His Spirit into your life for you just to live and survive and get by, but there's a purpose that is connected with all of that. God, when He fills somebody with His Spirit, it's not only that we as individuals could be saved, but that power that He gives us that we have on the inside is to be a witness, the Bible said in Acts chapter 1, to this world that needs salvation so desperately. 
And if God was merciful to you, and if God was gracious enough to you to save and to spare you and show you mercy in your life, you need to let that mercy be shed abroad through you to a world that is desperately searching for answers, that needs God in a profound way. Do you believe that tonight? Why don't you clap your hands and let's give praise to the Lord. that must have happened in the life of Moses during this period of time. We don't find him to be a, a man that was overconfident or egotistical. We don't find him to be a conceited individual. We don't find him to be someone that was proud and boisterous of his accomplishments. When the Lord revealed to him what he wanted him to do, I notice. I notice a hesitancy. I notice a lack of confidence in his flesh. Now, it's interesting to me. You can read about him in the book of of Acts and find something entirely different from what you're reading here in the book of Exodus, and that is that he was an articulate man, that he was a man that was well-spoken. He was not one that had to had to grapple for words, but uh, he was he was an orator, at least at one point. But now he is giving the excuse that he's slow of speech. Some have interpreted that to mean, mean that he had a stuttering problem and that how could I be a spokesman before Pharaoh? How could I confront the ruler of Egypt and have this impediment? How could I have this handicap and really be used of God? But what did what Moses didn't realize and what sometimes you and I need to be reminded of is God uses people that have learned how to rely upon Him. God uses people that learn how to trust in Him. That don't have just confidence in their flesh and their own giftings and their own talents. But realize that the source of all of that comes from God anyway. If I have any talent, it's because he gave it to me. If I have any gifts, it's because he gave it to me. If I'm able to stand and speak, it's because God gave me the gift of articulation. But I need him to anoint me. I need him to use me. I need him to allow his favor to be with me if I am going to be up for the task that he's calling me to do. And that goes with any of us. But can I just say that if God calls you with that calling, always comes an equipping. God never asks you to do something that he won't equip you to be successful in. Because God doesn't call people to fail. God doesn't call people to make a, a, a blunder. God doesn't call people to watch them fall on their face. He calls you because he wants you to be a success. So if God puts something in your heart, you can have a confidence, not in your own ability, but in the calling that God has placed upon your life, that he's going to use me for his purpose, and he's going to receive the glory for it. But you know, life can cause people to lose self-confidence. Happenings of life, struggles of life, situations in life can cause you to begin to doubt yourself and really God was preparing him, I believe, during that 40-year period 
that some people see as just a block of time where not really much was accomplished in the life of this great man Moses. But you do understand that when he had this experience in the wilderness with the burning bush and the Lord speaking to him, when he had this experience, he was now 80 years old. He lived to be 120 years old. In other words, two-thirds of his life had already been lived when he had this experience. Somebody in this room, I felt it today in prayer. You feel like your best days are behind you. You feel like your best days living for God. Your best days of being anointed and used of God are behind you. I've already lived my best years. I've already given the most of what I have to give to God. I've already expended the majority of my energy. There's not much more that I could give or do. I don't have many years left and what I do have I don't have the same strength and the vitality that I used to have I want to tell you that God revealed to Moses that your best days Moses are ahead of you your greatest accomplishments are ahead of you don't look at yourself and say two thirds of my life has already been used I'm ready just to survive until I reach the grave oh no Moses I'm going to use you to bring millions out of Egyptian bondage. I'm going to use you to lead them in the wilderness. I'm going to use you, amen, as a go-between between me and them. You're going to be my spokesman. You're going to be the one that I'm going to speak to. I'm going to give you revelation that I give no other man. I'm going to show you what happened at creation. I'm going to show you how to build the tabernacle in a whole new way of worship. I'm going to reveal to you the law. I'm going to give you the moral code that Israel's going to live by. And it's all going to happen. It's all going to take place in the last years of your life. Amen. Now this doesn't. Now I, I know we related as far as Moses is concerned. Just strictly to age. Saying he was 80 years old. And now he, he's got the, the rest of these 40 years. Amen. That he's going to lead the people out. And then he's going to uh, lead them in the wilderness time. The period that they're there for 40 years. And we think of it strictly in years, but this could mean more than just that to you and I. It could mean where we're at in our life and what we feel like we've already done versus what we could accomplish. We think we've already accomplished most of what we're going to do. We've already seen most of what we're going to see. We've already seen fulfilled the majority of the promises that God has intended for us. I'm going to tell you that's simply not the truth. Don't accept that. Don't be sold that bill of goods. But realize tonight. Can somebody hear me? Realize tonight that there's more to be possessed for God. There's more that God can do and wants to do in my life. I don't want to settle. I don't want to just become complacent. I don't want to do as Moses did and become content just to live the rest of my days out in this place. But God help me to realize there's something more. There's another miracle within me. There's greater things that you want to do through me. There's greater things that can be accomplished in the Holy Ghost. There's greater heights. There's 
deeper depths. Amen. In the spirit, I have not seen, neither is he heard, the things that God wants to do through those that will allow him to do it. Come on, let's lift up our voices to the Lord. He said, how am I to accomplish this? How is this to happen? How is this going to possibly, who, who am I going to say sent me? I mean, I can't go in there just as I am and say, uh, hey, you remember me, Moses? I've been gone on a 40-year vacation. I come back to tell you, you need to let these people go. That's not going to work. That doesn't even seem right. And he said, you tell him that I am has sent thee. He said, what? Clarify that way. He said, who? He said, I am that I am. And I know many of you, like me, when I was looking at that for several years, you probably wondered just exactly in layman's terms, what does that mean? It's more fully translated this way. I was being, I am being, and I will be being. So God operates in the eternal now or the eternal present. Amen. What God is today. In other words, he will be. And without any loss or deficiency, he's going to be tomorrow. Hallelujah. Praise God. Moses lived 120 years amen, and accomplished the greatest portion of what he did for God in those latter years after he received this revelation that God, he doesn't live in the past, but God lives in the present and he is going to be the same in the future. So whatever God calls me to do and whatever he wants me to be, I can have confidence in that. I may not have confidence in this flesh but I can have confidence that God has called me that God is going to let he's going to sustain me he's not going to let my my foot be dashed against a stone he's not going to allow anything to happen amen everything is going to fall out in his will if I'll just trust him hallelujah hallelujah praise God we see several scriptural examples of Similar experiences in God. What about in Genesis chapter 28? Talking about holy ground. This man by the name of Jacob had such an encounter with God in Genesis 28. The Bible tells us that he is now fleeing from his elder brother Esau. Isaac, his father, has passed away and Esau has made the promise. He is told and made it known that when my father or when our father passes away, uh, that's your only protection, buddy. And after he's gone and after the mourning uh, has passed, that grieving time has passed, I'm going to come after you. And we're going to settle this old score of how you deceived me and cheated me out of my birthright. And we know that Jacob was sent away to go to Laban's house. But as he is making his way again through a wasteland, a wilderness. And isn't it amazing 
how these encounters with God take place in locations and geographical places that would seem seem like that they are just barren and unfruitful areas. I think there's something to be said for that. God speaks to us sometimes when we're not distracted by a whole lot of other things. God is able to move upon us and help us and talk to us when He has us alone. The Bible says in one instance when He is making His way back to to Bethel and making His way back uh, to the place where uh, the Lord uh, uh, dealt with Him this first time. The Scripture says uh, that Jacob was left alone. Alone. There's a lot to be said for that. Sometimes uh, we can't hear him in the crowd. We can't hear him as long as there's noise around. I'm not just talking about physical noise. I'm, I'm talking about all the, the, the white noise that goes on in this world. You know what that is? That's, that's the noise, the clamor and the clatter that is out there that is, uh, is not really definable. It's, it's just noise. It's no, there's no voice that's really speaking through it. It's just clamor. It's out there. I'm going to tell you, you can't hear from God as long as you're consumed with the clamor of this world. But if you can cut through all of that uh, and, and hear the voice of God, there's direction in the voice of God. There's help that comes through hearing the voice of God. And this man was desperate to hear from God. And he went as far as he could before he was exhausted. And the Bible says while he was there alone in this place that was called Luz, which actually means almond trees or almonds. Uh, in other words, it was a place known for, for almond trees that were in that area. And uh, maybe there was uh, out there in that particular area, there was some wild uh, almond trees that were there growing along the hillside. Whatever it was, uh, this place called Luz was where he was at. Uh, and he began to find stones and he made a place there. Uh, you know, if I was looking to make a bed, I, I doubt that I would look for rocks. That's always seemed awful peculiar to me. But you know, sometimes if you're wanting to hear from God, you you don't need to find the most comfortable place. Sometimes I've had to make a place, not physically necessarily, not not in the same way that he did, but I've I've had to put some stones down for me to sleep on so that it would bring my attention and my sensitivity to God. In other words, I've had to afflict this flesh a little bit. I had to fast and push back the plate or turn the plate over so that I could hear from God. You can't again hear from God just in a casual, casual, comfortable attitude all the time. If you really need to hear the voice of God, sometimes you gotta be willing to make some sacrifices. You gotta be willing to give up some creature comforts. You gotta be willing to push some of those things away and say, I know that's what the flesh wants and that's what the flesh desires but if I'm going to hear from God I, I got to be willing I got to be willing to put myself on the rock amen the Bible talks about that it said fall on the rock or the rock will fall on you I would rather voluntarily fall on the rock and be broken than to allow life to shatter me and to break me in circumstances to break me help me to fall on the rock so that I can hear the voice of God in my life 
Oh, yeah, that went over like ham sandwiches at a Jewish picnic. Amen. But it's still the truth anyway. I'm telling you, it's still the truth anyway. Because as long as you're comfortable, sometimes you can't hear him calling. I said as long as you're comfortable, sometimes you'll never be able to hear his voice. So it was there in the midst of the night that he awoke to see a vision, dream, whatever you want to call it, whether he was in that state between being asleep and awake. We don't really know, but he saw, the Bible says he saw angels ascending and descending. That seems like the opposite of the way it ought to happen. We would think of them descending and ascending. Coming from heaven down to us. Taking what we have. But that's not the way it was. Ascending and descending. That's what the Bible said. In other words, amen. In this man's state of mind and place where he was. The Lord was revealing to him that you have a connection with me. Amen. If you'll lift your voice and begin to pray, and if you'll seek after me, and if you'll make me your God, and if you'll follow me and have faith in me, I'm going to lead you and I'm going to guide you. No, you haven't done everything perfectly. No, you, you, you haven't handled everything as I would have necessarily preferred you to do it. But I like something about your hunger. I like something about the desire. You know, there's one thing. You can give people good advice. You can give people good counsel. You can give people a lot of things. But there's one thing I found out in my years of ministry you cannot give them is you can't give them desire. Amen. As much as I've wanted to build a fire in some people, I haven't been able. I haven't found the key to put drive in anybody's heart or desire in anybody's heart to live for God. That's innate. That's something you've got to stir up. The Bible talks about Paul telling Timothy, stir up that gift that is within you. He said, I know it's there because it was in your mother and your grandmother. He said, I know it's there and it's your job to stir it up. That desire that is, that is in you, you've got to stir it up. I I can't make you live for God. The greatest preacher in the world couldn't make you live for God. But if you got a desire to live for God, there's no amount of discouragement or disappointment or setback or problem or struggle that'll keep you from living for God. Hallelujah. That's right. Amen. You're looking at a man that's had a few setbacks. And I know mine are minuscule compared to others. But I have had some genuine setbacks. And I don't go around advertising them. I don't go around licking my wounds and, and asking you folks to feel sorry for me. But I've had some genuine setbacks. But I told my wife the other day, I said, one thing I have never lost is my desire to live for God. Whether I'm a preacher, I still got a desire to live for God. Whether or not, uh, amen, I ever stand in a pulpit uh, and preach to crowds again, I still have a desire to live for God. Whether or not, uh, amen, God ever speaks to me as he has in times past, I still have a desire to live for God. Whether or not I ever see another miracle, amen, and I've seen a lot of them, amen, I still have a desire 
desire to live for God. And if you don't have that, you're not going to make it. But if you got that, nothing, nothing, nothing can keep you from living and serving God in victory. Oh, the devil can't keep that kind of person down. I said the devil can't hold that kind of person back. He can't restrain that kind of person. He doesn't get it that we're living for God because we love him. How many's fell in love with Jesus in this room? Hallelujah. Praise God. Come on, clap your hands and let's give some praise. Notice what he said after he witnessed this. The Lord began to speak to him and deal with him. Amen. He made a threefold vow unto God. He said, the Lord shall be my God. And then he said, the pillar of stone which I have set up will be a special place of meeting. I'm going to call this place. I'm going to rename this place. I'm not going to call this place uh, uh, Luz anymore. It's going to be known as Bethel, meaning the house of God or where the Lord meets people. It's going to be a place, a meeting where you can come and have a rendezvous with God. Amen. That's what this place is going to be. I'm going to tell you, when you really get something from God and have a life-changing experience, it changes things forever. The whole landscape of your life is changed forever. The things that you used to identify as being one thing or one way, it totally changes the way you look at it. You can't even look at it the same way. I can't even look at it and see it as love anymore. But that's the house of God now because God visited me in this place. Amen. The Bible says that he made this statement that surely the Lord was in this place and I knew it not. Amen. I know that there's been a lot of conjecture on that. There's been a lot of things said and people's given their opinions as to what that meant when he said that. Surely the Lord, maybe I was insensitive. Amen. But this was a man that was desperate. This was a man that was searching. This is a man that, that needed God to speak to him. He needed some direction from God. Maybe, maybe, I'm just, I'm just giving you this as a suggestion. Maybe he was really saying it this way. Surely the Lord was in this place and I knew it not. Maybe he meant it to, to be that if I'd have known, I'd have came here a whole lot sooner than I did if I'd have known that he was in this place I'd have got here months ago I'd have got here weeks ago if I'd have known he was in this place I wouldn't have wasted so much time getting here I'm going to tell you something amen some of us searched and looked and tried and amen we was looking for happiness we was looking for joy we was looking for peace we were looking for answers and had we known that the Holy Ghost had it all had we known that this revelation of truth was what we really needed. We wouldn't have wasted so much time getting to an apostolic altar. We wouldn't have wasted so much time getting to the house of God. Surely. Then that third thing he said, he said, I will surely give thee a tenth or give a tenth to thee. I'm going to tell you, when you get a real experience with God, tithing is not a problem. 
When you get a real experience with God, being a giver is not a problem anymore. Because you realize he's given me so much grace. He's given me so much mercy. He's given me so much that I didn't deserve. You think I'm going to hold back on him now? You think I'm not going to give him what he wants and what he desires, what's rightfully his? Matter of fact, all that I have is his. And all he wants me to do is be a steward over it and give a tenth of it back. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Holy ground. Holy ground. Amen. We could talk about it from the perspective of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9. I mean, this man is about as vehement and full of vim and vigor and desire to destroy and wreak havoc with the church as any person that we can read about in church history. We're talking about a dangerous man. We're talking about a man of reputation. You know, it's one thing to be destructive yourself, but it's another thing when a person is able to influence others to be destructive. You know, I was thinking about that. Charles Manson, he didn't commit any of those murders, but he influenced people to commit those murders. And until recently, I think he died, but he spent, he spent life in, in prison for what he was able to influence others to do. Remember, I was preaching revival a long time ago in Corcoran, California, and I think that's the place where he was imprisoned there, and there was some stories of men that had went in for maintenance issues in that prison and had to have encounters with him. And they spoke about the evil that they felt, but also the fear that had consumed that man's life. That when a man would come in to do pest control in the area where he, his cell or the area where he was, that he would, was totally afraid and fearful. And I began to be reminded of just how fear and the spirit of fear is associated with demonic oppression and possession in the lives of people. That's always a door of entry, it seems, is fear. Amen. And that's not part of my message necessarily, but what I was speaking is is that he was able to influence people to do evil. And that was the type of man that Paul was Saul during that time. And Saul has got papers in his hands. In other words, decrees in his hands. An edict in his hands to do what he wants to do with the church. And he's going to carry out this plan. He's on the road to Jericho, or Damascus rather. He's on the road to Damascus. And as he is there, the Bible said he's seen this great light It was so blinding. And then he heard a voice emanating out of the heavens. And he makes this statement, which is one of the most revelatory statements because he was a Jew among Jews. He bragged about being a studied Pharisee among Pharisees. Knew the law backwards and forwards. Studied at the feet of Gamaliel. And yet... When he was knocked down or struck down on the road to Damascus, 
The scripture says when he heard that voice, he looked up immediately knowing that it was divine and said, Who art thou, O Lord? Jewish people didn't use that term unless they were speaking of Jehovah. Unless they were speaking of the one they knew was the true and living God. And the Lord answered back to him and said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. You talk about divine revelation. That was holy ground for the uh, man by the name of Saul. That was holy ground for that individual. That moment he received a revelation of the mighty God in Christ. At that moment he realized I've been on the wrong side of this deal. I've been on the wrong team. I've been fighting for the wrong cause all along. And notice what the next reply was. The next statement that he made was in the form of a question. He said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? In other words, what's my purpose? I know there has to be. Anytime I'm on holy ground like this, there's got to be a purpose connected to it. There's got to be something that is happening here that is far beyond what is just being experienced and felt in the moment. There's something, and the Lord began to reveal to him what he wanted him to do. And in the meantime, he begins to speak to a preacher by the name of Ananias over here in the city, and he begins to tell him, he said, he is a chosen vessel. I got plans for him. He said, are we talking about the same guy? You, you're talking about that fellow by the name of Saul. I mean, that one I've been hearing about. I mean, you know, the one's on the front page of the newspaper, the Jerusalem Times, you know. Oh, I mean, you know all the people that he put to death. You know all all those folks uh, that he's been killing wreck havoc with. You know all those folks. He, I just heard the other day that he was holding the coats. I mean he was the influencer of those uh, that were doing evil and stoned Stephen and put him to death. And you're telling me that you want me to preach to him and notice what he said. He said don't be afraid because he prayeth. I'm going to tell you you can preach to a praying man. You can't really preach to somebody that's not praying. You can't really get through to somebody that's not hungry. But if somebody is praying. They're receptive to the Word of God. They'll hear the Word of God. You want the Word of God to be engrafted in your heart? you got to do a whole lot more before you when you get here. It can't just be what you hear when you get here. you got to be praying on the way to church. you got to be praying once you get to church. you got to be praying God speak to me through the week. And when you get here, God will have a word for you. Behold, He prayeth. The Lord revealed to him what he wanted him to do. Hallelujah. Holy ground. Holy ground. Read about one man by the name of Naaman in 2 Kings 5. You know the story. I'm not going to believe it, the point. How he was cleansed in the river Jordan. He grumbled and complained about it all the way. Went, went kicking and screaming all the way to Jordan. And the servants convinced him. Said, you know, if you was healed... You're not going to be thinking about how dirty the water was. If you get rid of this leprosy, you're not going to think about all. I'm going to tell you, you get the Holy Ghost, friend. You're not going to be fussing and fighting and carrying on and telling me, well, you mean I got to do this and I got to do that? I'm going to tell you, when you get to heaven, my brother, you're not going to be thinking about all the things you had to give up on this earth. 
there's nobody going to be, amen, inside those pearly gates fussing and fighting over holiness. There's nobody going to be trying to debate whether or not they can have another cigarette. There's no no person that's going to be over there, amen, fussing and fighting on whether or not you can drink wine with your meal or not. No, 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 no. I'm telling you, you got a misunderstanding if you think that's going to be the argument. You're going to be so happy when you see his face. You're not going to have time, amen, to even think about the things that you had to give up in this world. Come on, stand to your feet with me. When he got his miracle and he knew he was going to have to go back to that pagan land, he said, I got to go back to Syria now. This has been an experience. This has been awesome. But I got to go back among people that don't believe this. I got to go back among folks that don't have this experience. He said, I got one request. I said, sure, what is it? He said, could I just get two mules burdened of the earth? And could I take it back with me? What he was saying is if I could just get some dirt from this area. I know it seems like an unusual request. And just take it back with me. I'd have a little reminder of what God done for me here. I don't know where he put it. I don't know what what he did with it. We don't have those details. I don't know if he had a place behind uh, wherever his living quarters was. Hey man, he was quite high up in, he was a captain of the host, the Syrian. I don't know if he lived in a palace, what, what it was. Maybe he had a place. He had, it, he had it there in his backyard, so I don't know what he had. But he, every time that he, it would, that he needed some confirmation, every time that he wanted to relive the testimony, every time he wanted to go back in his mind, his spirit, and replay what the Lord had done for him, Amen. Uh, maybe he went out there on that ground, those that ground that was left there, that soil that, that came from those two mules that were burdened of the earth and said, this is a reminder to me of what God has done for me. Holy ground. This is holy ground. But you know, there's one more thing that we need to consider about holy ground. According to the Scripture, we as human beings are made of the dust of the earth. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 says that God formed man out of the dust of the earth and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living soul like nothing else that had been created. I'm just here to tell you, little Fido, he don't have a soul. I've heard people, oh, I'm going to see my German shepherd when I get to heaven. Get off all that. Get off all that. Amen. You'll be so busy around the throne, hopefully you won't have time to walk a dog. All you dog lovers don't mean to hurt your feelings. But we're unlike anybody else that he created. 
We got a soul. But you know, in the fall of man, something happened. There was a missing piece to the puzzle, if you will. But Paul talks about it, Colossians 1 and 27, to whom God would make known what his riches or what the riches of his glory and of this mystery, the riches of his glory and the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's the Holy Ghost, Spirit of the Lord coming on the inside. Amen. You know, it's not just a one-time experience, folks. It's not something that you just get one trip to the altar and never have to come back and be refilled again. Matter of fact, I preach against that attitude that says, well, I got it back there 10, 15, 20, and sometimes longer years ago, and I've never been renewed again. I'm going to tell you there's something wrong with that. You need to be renewed and refreshed in the Holy Ghost at every opportunity. You need to get in the Spirit every chance you get. You need to to pray until you break through every opportunity that you get. Pray until you pray in the Holy Ghost. Oh, yes, the Bible said in doing so, we're building up. We're building up some things. We're building up our most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost. I'm building something when I'm praying in the Holy Ghost. The enemy is trying to beat me down and destroy and, and, and wring me out as far as this world is concerned. But I can be refreshed in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Aren't you thankful for invitations along the way to step out on holy ground? I want to ask you, how long has it been since you felt? You know what holy ground is? That, that's, that for Moses, it was nothing between him, him and the Lord. He said, I don't want nothing between you and me. You take your shoes off. What he's saying is, to us it means not necessarily something physical. But God, is there anything, amen, in the same same way that could be between you and I that's hindering me from touching you? Amen. What is keeping me from, from standing on holy ground? Could it be something I've been holding on to for years? Is it some attitude that I've been holding on to? Is it some, some spirit of offense that I've been holding on to? Is it some secret sin that I've been holding on to? Is it something that I refuse to overcome that you've pinpointed, convicted me of many, many times, but I've not allowed it to happen? God, help me to remove that. Whatever's between me and you, I want to touch you today. I want to stand on holy ground. Does anybody wants to touch him here tonight? Why don't you why don't you make your way if you do? I'm giving you an invitation. If there's somebody that's hungry to touch the Lord, if there's somebody